If you have your Bibles, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. Can anybody tell me the book before Ecclesiastes? Anybody tell me the book before Ecclesiastes? Come on. I've got a great crowd tonight. Nobody knows what book is before Ecclesiastes. Proverbs. Good. Okay, wait a minute. What, what book is after that? Solomon of Solomon. That's great. You may know how many chapters are in Ecclesiastes. Don't look. Anybody know? Twelve. And the last two verses, don't look between now and the time we finish the book. Do not look at the last two verses. How many of you are going to yield to peer pressure? Okay, I got some people. I am right now, I'm going to tell you. Okay, uh, take your Bible and turn it to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And I want to, I want to just give you the, a, a little bit about the background, let you sort of get the understanding of it. Ecclesiastes is a book that everybody in this room, all of us, need to pay attention to. And I want to tell you why. Uh, number one, uh, who wrote it? Anybody know who wrote it? Somebody tell me, who wrote it? Uh, Abigail? Solomon, good job. Uh, did you learn that in school or did your daddy teach you that? School? Okay. All right. All right. That's good. Well, you know what? Let me, let me say this to you. It's important for all of us to learn about the books of the Bible and things about them. Uh, this book here is a short book, 12 chapters, but oh, it is packed with stuff for us today. Now, I want you to notice, look if you would, verse number one. <clears throat> the words of the preacher. <clears throat> now, we all know that preachers are supposed to do the right thing. This is a sad book because he wrote his name as a preacher. He did preach about things that people should do <clears throat> earlier on. He never lost his title. Uh, notice in the outline, the author of the book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon. A, he uses the title of preacher. A preacher is supposed to do what's right. One of the things I'm glad to use that term is because you can understand that everybody on earth can slide to his position of thought. And it's important that everybody in this room realizes where he was. Notice, if you would, be in the outline. Uh, he uses also the title of king. Uh, now, we're going we're gonna to read through in just a moment, but I want you to notice C. I'd like for someone to turn to first all of us to turn to 1 Kings chapter 3. And I want you to notice uh, 1 Kings chapter 3, he is <clears throat> considered to be, verse 12, Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and understanding heart. Now listen, so that there was none like thee before thee. So he's the wisest man up until that point. Neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. So Einstein had to take a second place to Solomon. You named the person the wisest man to ever live aside from Jesus Christ. Now, that's important because he's known for wisdom. Wisdom is taking the Word of God, and he probably wrote about as much Scripture as anybody that's ever lived. And yet, as a preacher and as a king, notice if you would, 
He's the wisest man to ever live. Notice with me if you were in the outline, Roman numeral two, Solomon came to the conclusion that life was not worth living. How is that possible? I mean, how is it possible that the wisest man to ever live says life's not worth living? How is it that a man that is the richest man that's lived says life's not worth living? Notice, if you would, A in the outline, Roman numeral two, he was the wisest the richest, and the most famous man on earth, yet he felt all was vanity. Look, if you would, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, notice two, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He could have said the son of David. He could have said uh, the king. But he chose the title that ought to have made it all different. He's lost the purpose of life. He's lost the reason to live. He no longer really wants to live. He's tried everything. And nothing has satisfied him. And the reason being is because he's looking for satisfaction in wisdom and in riches, and in fame. Do you remember the queen of Sheba comes from hundreds and hundreds of miles from the east to just ask him hard questions? And she said, what I heard about you was more than I ever thought possible that any man could be, but you far exceeded everything I heard. He was world famous. Yet, he says, all is vanity. You want to know why? That's really the theme of the book. He's searching for truth. He's searching for something that will satisfy his soul. He's searching for something that will make life worth living. Notice, if you would, in verse number 13 of Ecclesiastes, he said, I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. And notice he says, this sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. He said, I wanted to know about everything. And he said, everything I learned about it made my life more miserable. Nothing satisfied. When he says in verse 2, vanity of vanities. In other words, everything is vanity. Now, I want you to notice, I put the, uh, put the Hebrew word for vanity uh, in A in the outline. At Roman numeral 2a, uh, all was vanity, it's all is empty. <clears throat> Has no value. Now watch, it's like breath. Watch. <sighs> it's gone. <clears throat> you can't get it back. It was only good for that minute. If you don't breathe again, that last breath was worthless. You look back and say, that's what today's worth. <sighs> That's what tomorrow's going to be worth. And he looked at it and said, nothing is worth living for. And folks, tonight, 
The book of Ecclesiastes is written, I believe, by God to let all of us in this room realize that you can get all the wealth in the world and it won't make you happy. You can be the most famous person in the world and it won't make you happy. You can be the wisest man. Now, I want you to see where Solomon started to go wrong. We may or may not finish the outline tonight because I don't want to rush this. I think it's so important for all of us to see how you get to the point where you start reaching out for a house, reaching out for a car. Um, Notice in the outline, B, he wondered about what benefit there was in working hard. Look, if you would, in verse 3. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? He said, if you get a nice house, he said, you just got to work so hard to keep it nice. He said, what good is it? It seems like all you do is work on it. If you get a big, 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 big house like he had. If you get a really nice, nice, nice chariot, he said, to keep it polished and to keep it nice and keep it oiled. And he said, everything you work hard for just takes more work. He said, "Ah, everything is vain. It's empty. It's gone. Notice, see in the outline, he had lost his purpose in life. Now, I'd like for you to take your Bible and turn, if you would. I want you to see 1 Kings chapter 3. Turn, if you would, 1 Kings chapter 3. We're going to do a little history here. Now, I want you to notice 1 Kings chapter 3 in verse number 5. <coughs> now, the Lord, many times in the Old Testament, because the Scriptures were not complete yet, would speak in dreams. So, he's speaking to Solomon in verse 5. In Gibeon, this is the area where he is, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give thee. Now Solomon is young. Now I want you to notice this. And he's humble. And he realizes he can't do anything without God. Notice <clears throat> verse 6. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy. Lord, you've been better to my dad than he deserves. According as he walked before thee in truth, and as he did what was right, you were so good to him. And in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee, he said, I've watched my dad get his heart right and walk with you with his heart right with you, in tune with you. And notice what he says, and thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And you have to understand one of the greatest privileges of a a king was that his son would reign in his behalf, in in his stead. It was one of the great gifts of God to a king. And so David was thrilled when God said, there's going to be a child of yours sitting on the throne forever, speaking about Jesus Christ. And you wonder why God chose David, an adulterer, a murderer. Because he humbled himself and said, I was wrong. 
I'm sorry. But forgive me. And God did. And I think the reason he did was so that you and I could see there's no place we've been or done that God can't say, I'll forgive you if you'll humble yourself and ask me and change your ways. Notice verse 6, and my father, great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth. You showed him mercy as he walked with you and in righteousness as he did what was right and in uprightness of heart. He did what was right not only in your sight but in his own heart. He tried to do the right thing according to his heart. And so you'll notice he says, verse 7, and now, O Lord, my God, that's important. He's God's child. He's put his faith and trust in Jehovah. He said, you're my God. So in order for you and I to have purpose of heart, you must know him as your Savior. Otherwise, nothing is really going to give you purpose in life. Now, I want you to listen very carefully. One second past death, everybody in this room is going to meet the Lord. As it is appointed unto man once to die, after this, the judgment. Now, if you don't know the Lord is Savior, you're going to a place called hell. And he, at the time appointed, is going to pull hell up to heaven to the judgment throne of God, the great white throne, Revelation chapter 20. He's going to empty hell and bring it to the throne of God's judgment judge them all. And the Bible says, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is hell eternally. And so, understand, we all have family. We don't want our family in that place. There's part of our purpose. We don't want to see the Lord and have him be disappointed with us. It's another part of our purpose. And so Aaron lost his purpose for a moment and thousands died because God had him there for a appointed time and appointed place to stand up and say, no, that's not right. And he didn't. And God has a purpose for everybody in this room. I talked with someone this week that said, I've been back and forth to the hospital a lot and to the doctor a lot, and we've gotten a chance to share the gospel with people that we would have never, ever, ever met before. That's apparently why God has me here. Everybody in this room that has my God in your heart, your God, you have a purpose, and it's an eternal one. Now follow with me. Verse number Seven, <clears throat> and now, Lord, my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David, thy father, and I am but a little child. There's one of the most humble statements a king has ever made. You've put me in the place of my father, who was one of the greatest warriors to ever live, and I'm like a child. I don't know what to do. I can't fight like my dad. 
I didn't make the wealth and lay up the wealth like my father has for the temple. I'm like a child compared to my father. Lord, now notice, and I know not how to go out or to come in. I don't know which direction to go. Now, how much more humility can we get than, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm king. I don't deserve to be here. Verse number 8. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people. And I'm like a child that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give, therefore, thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy so great of people? You know, the king would sit in his throne, and people would come. And one time there were two um, women of ill repute that came up, and both of them had children, and they both had them apparently the same time, uh, same day or day or so apart. And one of them at night, they took their children, they, they nursed them, they went to bed, and one of them woke up the next morning, and their child was dead. And so she saw her child was dead, saw the other lady laying over there, and said, I'm going to switch children. And that way, I'll get to have a living child, and she can just mm, keep my dead son. And that's what she did. And the lady woke up the next morning and said, oh, no, this is not my child. You have my child. Now, then they go to the king to settle it. So they went to the first layer, uh, maybe the, uh, uh, the area judge. No, I can't decide that. Went to another judge. I can't decide that. Goes all the way up to the king. And that's why the king said, Lord, I can't go out or come in. I'm not smart enough. I know why I'm here is to judge this people and lead them right. I need you to give me an understanding heart. So these two women came up. And keep in mind, nobody knows about his, his prayer. Nobody knows about his dream. So the two women coming up, and they start telling the story. And he says, oh, give me a sword. And everybody kind of looks around. He takes the sword and said, put the child right here. I'm going to split it and give each one of you half. And you know what happened? The real mom said, oh, don't kill the child. The other lady says, yeah, I'll take my half. And he says, take the child and give it to her. She doesn't want it to die. The other lady doesn't have a care. And everybody went, whoa. Where did he get that kind of wisdom? And from then on, the people followed Solomon. He simply asked that I could have a heart to take care of your people and help them settle their burdens and problems. And notice what God said. Verse number 10, And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon asked this thing. You know why? Because he didn't ask for himself. He wasn't covetous. He wasn't greedy. He wasn't jealous. He didn't ask for great power. He didn't ask for fame. He didn't ask for riches. Notice what he said in verse, what God says in verse 11, and God said unto him, because thou hast asked this thing, something not for yourself, but something to be a blessing to people, and hast not asked for thyself long life, Neither hast thou asked riches for thyself, nor hast thou asked the life of thine enemies. You didn't ask to be a victor, but thou but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done 
according to thy words. Now, nobody can see any different, doesn't look any different, but God has made him different. And the Lord can do that for every one of us in this room. He can make you different according to his purpose. What was the purpose of Solomon? To make the right judgments and to lead the people. What is the purpose for you as a father? To make good decisions and lead your family. What is the right thing of a mother? To make good decisions and lead your family. What about you children? To obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. And if each one of us say, Lord, I don't know how to do that sometimes. Any of you ever try to figure out, say, I want to obey my parents, but I'm not sure what I should do right here. Well, the Lord says, I'll help you if you'll ask. Now, because of that, notice in verse number 14, verse 13, I'm sorry, and I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor. So that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. And if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father David did walk. Now David walked right at the beginning, fell down in the middle, and walked right at the end. And God still counted David as a godly man. So I'm here to tell you tonight that the greatest of God's treasures are those that start young and finish right all the days of your life. But if you started young or you didn't know much right and you've stumbled a little bit, start today doing what's right. And the Lord will bless you. He can bless you from this day forward far beyond your dreams. And he certainly can give you the purpose of life to where every night you go to bed, you say, Lord, I, I feel like I, I, I honored you today. It was worth it. And Lord, I feel like I can honor you tomorrow when you get up. Lord, I, I, I've got a reason today to live. And that's what Solomon lost. Why? Because he stopped doing verse 14. And if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my commandments and my commandments, my statutes and my commandments, as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. And what I want you to understand is, is when David made a mistake, he said, I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me. He humbled himself. Folks, humility and humbleness is the thing that pleases the Lord the most. A contrite heart, O God, thou will not refuse. Humility contriteness. Those two words, contrite, means a crushed heart. It's not just a broken heart. It's a heart that's stamped into nothing. I have nothing you want, Lord. I am sorry. Lord, I am so worthless. And the Lord scoops it all up and tosses it back to us better than it ever was before. He said, now you're not worthless. But you have to obey my statutes. Now, take your Bible and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 17. Now, we know that God made him a promise and said, look, if you'll just obey my statutes and my commands, he said, I'll bless you. And folks, that's for all of us in this room. If we'll just do what's right 
And, and, and look, there, there are things in Scripture that you know and I know we ought to do. It's up to us to say, I'm going to do those things. To a child, it is don't cheat in school. To, a, to another child, it is, it is uh, do what the teacher tells you. To another child, it's, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's be kind to other children. Uh, don't be mean to them. And so those are simple tasks, but they're hard for them. Just like for you and I, to tithe, to forgive, to pray for your enemies. Those are difficult. Notice, if you would, something happened to Solomon between the time he humbled himself. I'm like a child. And the time of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. I want you to see what it was. Verse number 15, thou shalt in any wise set him over thee whom the Lord thy God shall choose. Well, Solomon was chosen by God, so he's met the first command. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee which is not thy brother. Solomon met that one. Number two, 16. But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to, to the end that he should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord hath said unto you, you shall not henceforth return no more that way. So the Lord said, the horses of Egypt, they're, they're called, what kind of horses? What kind of horses? Arabians. They're thoroughbreds. They're the fastest horses in the world. And he said, Solomon, don't multiply horses to you. It said in Haley's Bible handbook that the, in one section of country, he had a barn with 200 stalls in it. Failure number one, he multiplied horses. Now, now, now wait just a minute. You might say, well, pastor, what's wrong with doing that? Uh, how many of you heard that Mike Tyson, when he was a world heavyweight champ, he was like 22 years old. Does anybody know he had, I think, 17 cars? Rolls Royces, Bentleys, Ferraris. Does that not sound a little excessive to you? Anybody here got 17 cars? Any here got 10 cars? Thou shalt not multiply horses to thyself. It's covetousness. And my king can't be covetous. Why? It opens you up to bribery. Notice the next one. Number 17, neither shall he multiply wives to himself. Oh, my. Did he blow this one royally? How many wives did he have? Wives and concubines. A thousand. I've never heard anybody close to that. So it's no wonder that he gets to Ecclesiastes and says, everything is vanity. He threw what he knew was right away. Listen, because he could. He was king. And I want to tell you something, all of us in this room, we can do a lot of things that doesn't please the Lord because we can. We can buy a house that God didn't choose because we can. We can buy a car that God didn't choose because we can. We can get a job that is a great job because we can. The Lord is not against any of those things except we go out and say, I want that. 
And we don't say, Lord, what do you want? I'll take what you want me to have. When we lose the childlike heart, we're gone. And that's what happened. Now, flip back over, if you would, please. I want you to see. Um, uh, I, I, let me take it a little bit further so you can tie it all together. In verse 17, uh, that his heart turned not away, neither shall he multiply to himself silver and gold. Uh, the Bible says that he had so much gold that silver was counted as nothing. He was the richest man on the face of the earth. He multiplied to himself all those things. Now, God gave it to him, but he was proud of them and began to collect it. And he, God said, don't do that. Now, notice if you would, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. I want you to see very quickly, look in verse number 4. So he's, he's, he's looking, sitting down. I don't know if he's under uh, some tree in the Middle East, sitting down by the river. And he's, uh, he's thinking, he's musing about all that's gone on in his life and where he is. He's the richest man, the wisest man. He's got more wives than anybody on the face of the earth. And, and he's miserable. Why? Because he stopped doing what God wanted to do. The next verse in Deuteronomy says, I want you to write you a copy of the scriptures and study them every day. And he, I'm sure he didn't do that either. So let's go in reverse order. If you and I want to please the Lord, get a copy of the scriptures and study them every day. Number two, keep a childlike heart. Lord, I can't do what, what, I can't be a good dad, Lord, unless you help me. I can't be a good mom, Lord, unless you help me. Lord, I can't be a good employee unless you help me. Lord, there's problems that come up. I don't know how to answer them, Lord. I'm responsible for a lot. Lord, I need you. When you keep that heart need, God can continue to bless you. But the second you say, well, I'm over 25 people. I'm over 10 people. I'm over 500 people. I can, I, I got this. You start losing your purpose. Notice if you would, verse 4, one generation passeth away and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. You know, what I've noticed is I drove by the graveyard. All those people are dead and gone. Nobody cares. One generation passes, another generation passes, and I'm the king, the greatest king on earth, and everybody's going to forget me. Notice, notice number five. And the sun also ariseth, and the sun goeth down, and hasteth to his place where he rose. The sun's going to do the same thing up and down, up and down, whether I'm here or not. What difference am I making? Number six. The wind bloweth toward the south and turneth about unto the north. It whirleth about continually. The wind returneth again according to its circuit, says the wind's always blowing. How many of you, which way does the wind blow here while we're here? Which way does the wind normally blow? From the west to the east, 90% of the time. Then why is it doesn't turn and go the other way? And Sol Solomon says, all that's happening is it keeps blowing and going in a circle, coming back all the circuits of the earth. And he says, just a waste of my time. I can't change it. I can't make any difference. It does it without me. Notice the next one. He says this in verse 7. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place whence come the rivers come, thither they return again. All things are full of labor, and man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. He says, I got 200 horse, chariot horses, and I'm still not happy. I've got a thousand wives, the most beautiful women in the world. None of them make me happy. Because God himself is the author 
of satisfaction. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. It can only be given to you as you do what is right in his sight. As you do what he asked you to do, and day by day you turn around and look back and say, wow, I, I think I've done what God wanted me to do. And there's a sense of satisfaction that wells over your soul. You've honored him. That's why you live right. Day after day after day. You stack day after day after day. So when you turn and look back, you see your life accounted for something. For what God wanted it to. That's why you can be happy if you were uh, a framer and all you did was just build things. You built what God wanted you to. And God was pleased with you. Otherwise, you won't be happy if you melted gold in Fort Knox because you did what God wanted you to do. And God has some way to work in our hearts to give us satisfaction at the smallest of things and make it last if we humble ourselves and say, Lord, I can't do this without you. But the second we say, I can do it. I've got 200 horses. I've got thousand wives. There's going to come a time you're going to sit down and you're going to take a look back and say, huh, I'm still not happy. Happiness and satisfaction is a gift of God. You can't earn it. You can only please the Lord and he will give it to you. Notice if you would, I want you to see the outline. Um, Notice A, uh, uh, Roman numeral three, the world continues forever, generation after generation. A, even after generations have come and gone, the earth is still here. B, the sun, wind, and rivers still continue on. And notice if you would see, everything in life is work, but we are never satisfied with what we've accomplished because I got to go back and repaint. I got to change the carpet. <clears throat> I got to change the cabinets. They're no longer in anymore. Uh, how many of you remember whenever, uh, whenever uh, what was that called? Uh, Mauve was in. How many of you remember that? How many of you remember that? Nobody? How many of you remember whenever uh, that pukey green was in? How many of you remember that? Okay. All right. And people would make their cabinet countertops green, and, and it was called avocado green. Oh, my goodness. But I'll tell you a little secret. You wouldn't have that now. You say, I got to change it. It's called updating. It's like after you've been in that house for 30, 40 years, you say, I've updated it three times. I'm tired of updating. I don't like this. You know why? The heart of man is never satisfied unless the Lord fills the satisfaction cup. The woman at the well, she got satisfied. Because she went to Jesus Christ. That's the only way we're going to be satisfied. Notice very quickly in the outline. D, nothing is really new in life. Everything new now eventually gets old. Um, uh, Down the street is a Bentley dealer. Uh, Bentleys and Rolls Royce is very close, very similar. A Bentley is faster. A Rolls Royce is more luxurious. $200,000, dollars $400,000 they drive them down the street, turn around, and you hear them all day long. They drive them off. And you know what? 
The Bentley has a very poor resale value. You want to know why? Who wants a used Rolls Royce? It's not the same status as a new one. And so Bentleys lose their value faster than your Honda. Faster than your Ford. Because it's a status symbol. I'll never forget one of our staff members. We had a, a, a young man that was the, the, off the Redskins, a retired, and he drove up, had his kid in our school, and drove up, and one of our staff members looked at it and says, wow, what is that, a Chrysler? Oh, my. He was so offended. No, it's a Bentley. I had to go look at what a Bentley was. To him, it was, I've arrived. Well, you know what? Bentleys get old and they're not worth much. But I tell you what, never gets old doing what's right. And that's what the Lord wants from all of us. And if you do what's right, one day at a time, God will bless you with a thing you cannot buy. Satisfaction and joy. Tonight, let's do what's right. And let the Lord bless us and fill our heart, our cup, with joy. Let's bow forward a prayer tonight. <clears throat> bring your outline back next week. I'll have another one for you, but bring it back next week and we'll finish it. I will continue on with the next chapter, uh, just a tremendous chapter for all of us to learn from. We're going to have a word of prayer. And, and Lord, I, I pray that you would help us not to be like Solomon. Lord, the, the wisest and smartest men to ever live but didn't follow his own advice. And Lord, he lost that which he wanted the most, and that was joy, satisfaction. Father, would you hear our prayers tonight as we pray? I pray that you protect the people of Temple Baptist Church. Give them a childlike heart to do your will. In your name we pray. Amen.